And we're back. Well, let's talk about God. Ready to talk about God today. Hola, como esta? Bienvenido. I didn't, get, I didn't get my German. Why didn't you research? You should I, have. I should have got I'm my disappointed. German. I expect next episode to be a, I guess, German. Not even just another language. German specifically. I expect that. I'm ready to go for that. You just keep talking, and I'll, I'll get us there. You'll get us there? I'll get us there. Are you? Is that what you're researching on your phone don't, right don't, now? Don't pay attention to what I'm doing right now. Just don't even look at what I'm doing. Just talk we, to our people. We may or may not have a poorly Google-translated version of Let's Talk About God translated in German in just a few moments, if you can ever talk it out. My job right now is just to keep making noise so you don't feel uncomfortable until he pulls it up. Lass uns über Gott sprechen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, does it does it have the button where you can make it say it? Here you go. Let's see. Let me turn. Yeah, the make sure it's up. turned up, folks. You never know what you're going to get into when you come in. Here we go. Lass uns über Gott sprechen. <laughs> I, I didn't get that. I was pretty close. Oh, no, do it again. All right, here we go. Lass uns über Gott sprechen. <laughs> Lass uns über Gott sprechen. Let's talk about God, people. <laughs> Which one of those words was God? Got. Okay. What Got. was Goober? Uber. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is Uber. Uber. We're Uber people. What? Like, you know, Uber, oh, oh, like the Uber driving app? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're Ubers. Let's talk about God. I like that. Las uns Uber got sprechen. So is Uber talk? I can't figure sprechen, out. Sprechen is, you know, sprechen Sie Deutsch. Do you do you speak French? Which one is Uber? So though? let's speak about God. Uber is about. Must be about. If we have any German listeners, you said Uber think we do. is going about. Oh, that's driving good. about around. That's good. About that's where it came from. It's German mm. people. You, this is a, this is an educational program in more ways than one. You're learning languages. right You're now. learning languages now. You are learning about our cultural. Mm. Uh, icons like Uber. Mm, That's good. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. We better get started, though. I'm so hungry. I could eat a whole potluck right now. You could eat a whole potluck. And that's why today we're talking about John the Baptist. What does that have to do with potluck? <laughs> Baptists love their potlucks. <laughs> <laughs> that did not work. <laughs> if there are any Baptist listeners listening right now, they know. You're just not Baptist. All church people I have went, potlucks. No, I went to a Baptist university. Southern Baptists love potlucks. Do they? That's their shtick. That's their thing. That's their thing? Yeah. Not baptizing people, maybe? Uh, fine, I'm ready to immerse myself in this conversation. Oh, there it is, folks. <laughs> there, there it is. I knew it was coming. I didn't know how we'd get there, but it came. Oh man, Ba-dum. our our, our ex Southern Baptist folks right now laughed at the potluck, and then everyone else laughed at the immersed joke. The, so it, we, you're the, welcome. Uh, you did good. That you're one, welcome. You, the last two times you've done very well. I'll give you that. That was. That was pretty good. That was a slam dunk. Oh, there we go. There we go. I like that a lot. (laughs) We didn't sprinkle them with a little bit of innuendo. We dunked them in it. All right. Anyways, I don't even know how to transition smoothly out of that. But today, 
We are talking about John the Baptist. So we're going to talk about John the Baptist. Spoiler alert, he was not Southern Baptist, but I figured I'd make a Baptist joke regardless. Love our Southern Baptist folk. Love Anderson University. You are an alum. My alma mater. You are an alumnus. I know. It was great. Anderson University. Southern Baptist University. They're great. Anyways, we're talking about John the Baptist. So... You put me on the spot last time. You get the easier, a little bit easier one. Who is, 30-second definition, who is John the Baptist? The forerunner of Jesus Christ. How's that? Boom. That's great. The forerunner of Jesus Christ. You know, I got somebody the, the other day. I don't remember who I was talking to. I said, I want you to answer something for me. Who is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets? And they were thinking and thinking, and they maybe said Isaiah or Daniel. I said, no. Nope. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Greatest of the Old Testament prophets. That's what Jesus said. About him. I like it. I yep. got him. Got him a little, little trivia. Yeah, a little something there. Anyways, let's talk about John the Baptist today. John the Baptist is a really, really important person in the Bible because, like you said, uh, he's the forerunner of Jesus, and he truly is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. So John is this key figure, and here's why he's so big. For 400 years, there were no prophets. And then, right. boom, this prophet shows up on the scene, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit later, that big gap, but shows up on the scene and starts declaring, hey, you need to repent, and there's somebody who's coming who is far greater than I am. So John is really kind of the the first guy, the first moment that kicks off this whole impending kingdom of God. So yep. he's very, very important. Yeah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, who were your last your post-exilic prophets. That's mm-hmm. why they're the last three books of the Old Testament. Yeah. And after they spoke, 400 years of silence. Yeah. And then God brings this this man named John the Baptist, who, by the way, let me give you a little trivia. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist was a priest. Was he? he that was, is true. I think I wrote that down. Yes. I don't know if you did, but I did. He was a priest who was a prophet. That's cool. His father, Zacharias, was a priest, was a priest which meant he was of the priest, priestly line. And his mother came from a like priestly line. line They were Levites, yes. Yeah. And John the Baptist was a priest who became a prophet. I like that. We're learning all kinds of facts today. Well, uh, going on sort of the the prophet outlook of everything, let's connect John the Baptist first, because this is, you know, if you've listened to us long enough, you know our typical format as we start in the Old Testament and work our way through the New Testament. Let's kind of see how John relates to the Old Testament, specifically with the prophet Elijah. So John and the prophet Elijah have a lot going for one There's another. a connection there. Yeah, yeah, a very close connection. So let's look at Matthew 17, 11 through 13. It says, uh, and this is Jesus, Elijah is coming and will restore everything. He replied, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist uh, uh, has already, I'm assuming, has already been killed at this point, and um, and Jesus is basically saying, Elijah has already come. And then we get this little note from Matthew, yet then they realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. So to use a term that may not, that some of our listeners may be familiar with, may not, um, John the Baptist is the anti-type, okay, the mm-hmm. anti-type. So sometimes we talk about a type or a symbol. Mm-hmm. The Bible uses a lot of types. Yes. Okay. Uh, so John is the anti-type of Elijah the prophet. 
mm-hmm. okay, which means he comes after him. So usually types come before. Mm-hmm. But if you're an anti-type, you're a type coming afterwards. You're like almost the original or the goal or the... Well, no, Elijah has already come and died, but then you have another prophet rises up who's like the prophet that's already come. Mm-hmm. Usually in a type, there's a person who's coming who is a representation of that, which is... So the, so the Passover lamb mm-hmm. was a type or a symbol, a representative of Jesus who would come as our Passover lamb. Who is the anti-type. In the future, right. He would be the anti-type. Yeah. Uh, well, well, and uh, yes, yes and no. Yeah. But in this case, because you have two equal prophets, mm-hmm. John the Baptist came afterwards. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's not the type. He's the anti-type of a prophet who's already come. That's good. And, and the New Testament does this a lot. They kind of reuse figures in the Old Testament for new meanings, especially those who de- whose deaths are obscure. Um, so think about this. Deut- Deuteronomy 34.6 says that Moses' burial is unknown. And um, clearly Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. So some Elijah wasn't killed or he didn't die. But, you know, their kind of departures were kind of odd. And both of these figures actually appear at the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, they didn't appear because their departures were odd. They appeared for other reasons. But at the same time, there's a, there's a cool little connection there that, hey, we don't, know, we don't know where Moses was buried. Elijah just got randomly taken up, and these are kind of the two guys that appear back. And then we see John as kind of figuring Elijah kind of back again in well, a sense. Right, back again. And, and I think if you take probably the two most prominent Figures other than Abraham, mm-hmm. the two most prominent figures of the, at least of the prophetic. So Abraham was patriarchal, but of the prophetic period would be Moses and Elijah. And there you get it, kind of a picture of the law and the prophets, law and which the prophets. is a common way of speaking about the whole old covenant. Old covenant There's a lot Testament. there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so John is like Elijah because he's an aesthetic. Did I say that? An ascetic, not an aesthetic. He doesn't uh, love things to look good. <laughs> ascetic, you're right. <laughs> ascetic. <laughs> he lived an ascetical lifestyle in the wilderness near the Jordan while wearing camel hair clothing and a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. So kind of a crazy guy now. But Elijah wore camel hair yep, exactly. with a leather belt. So again, he dressed like Elijah. Yep. I don't know if Elijah ate locusts and wild honey. I don't know that he did that. But, but I'm not into eating bugs, and that really makes John the Baptist unusual. Yeah. The Very honey? strange. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Well, honey, butter, whip it up, put it on a biscuit, mm. cathead biscuit. Mm. But now locusts? <laughs> I don't want to crunch on those legs. <laughs> Here's interesting, too. Second Kings 2.6 says, Before Elijah went to heaven, he says to Elijah, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Well, where does John pick up his ministry? At the Jordan. Baptizing people. It's almost like Elijah kind of leaves off, you know, leaves his ministry there at the Jordan, and then John just resumes it and picks it up, this prophetic ministry there at the Jordan. That's good. Um, John baptized on the east side of the Jordan, opposite Jerusalem, which is where much of Elijah's prophetic activity happened. So that's very interesting. Um, And John's location in the wilderness brings thoughts of receiving the law post-Exodus, and the establishment of a covenant. So if we're gonna if we're kind of going to the Old Testament theme here, sorry I made a kind of rough transition. Um, we we kind of think of the wilderness where God's doing something new and He's bringing this covenant to God's people. So out in the wilderness, He gave them the covenant to Moses. Well, now out in the wilderness, we're beginning to receive a new covenant under Christ. John's baptism can be symbolic of a new Exodus 
or a recrossing of the Jordan, as we see in Joshua, where God's people are led into the promised land. So he's there at Jordan. So we're going to move into something new, into this new covenant, this new freedom. The greatest understanding of John is the prophetic continuity with the expectations of a coming Elijah. Quite the sentence there. He is one like Elijah who's come to declare repentance and to announce the world that God is the sovereign ruler over the nations. So Elijah is also there during this great big time and kind of the most famous stories where he rains down fire on the prophets of Baal and declares God as the true and only God, the true Lord. And so John is kind of calling us to repentance, calling us to this kingdom, really announcing God is here. God is on the move. He is the one we should worship. Get ready. I think another one is that um, Elijah spoke in condemnation of Ahab and Jezebel. Yep, that's the wicked that's king. Good. And so John the Baptist spoke against uh, Herod and Herodias. And Herodias, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, he was killed for it. You they, know, they both plotted to kill them, and they actually accomplished that yeah, with John. They accomplished it with John. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of similarities. That's right. Now the difference is, and and I know we'll have this in the notes, but John's birth is miraculous. So I think that sets John apart. Um, but they were both the spirit of the Lord moved on them. Mm-hmm. So you know Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind, and yeah. and, and uh, the power of God came on him. Well, we know from Luke one that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Yeah. So John the Baptist was one of the first Pentecostals. <laughs> That's true. So one of the first Pentecostals was a Baptist. He was a Baptocostal. He's a Baptocostal. And uh, he was a Baptist preacher who preached yeah. Pentecost, by the way. <laughs> I love to throw that in. I love to do that to my Southern Baptist friends as to tell them that John the Baptist, the first Baptist, was a Pentecostal. Yeah. But that's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And then when Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, came to visit John's mother, Elizabeth, when John in her womb heard her voice, he leaped in her womb. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And so, then Elizabeth began really prophesying. prophesying. Yeah. So he was a he was a spirit filled individual from the very beginning, mm-hmm. which makes him extraordinary. He was an extraordinary person. And going back to that birth narrative thing, um, we see all of these great people come out of barrenness and birth complications. So so John being born was a miracle for him to be born. And then you go back and you think of people like Sarah and and Rebecca and Hannah and and people like that who have these kind of very special, miraculous pregnancies and um, birthing very special children. John is in that line, so we know he's about to do something very special, especially regarding God's redemptive plan. He falls within that. And then obviously Jesus outdoes him and is born a virgin. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So we know that John is like Elijah. He's coming to announce something new. He's a prophet. Something major is happening. He stands in all these long lines, but ultimately he was the Baptist. And so what he would do is he would stand at the Jordan and he would call people to repentance and then he would baptize them in repentance. So the question for us is, is was this this call to baptism, was it completely new and unfounded? Was everybody like, what is he talking about? Or was there a basis for this? And so we'd say, yeah, there's a basis for this for the people to understand. So let's look at Second Temple Judaism um, cleansing rituals and see kind of 
why John is doing this baptism thing. So baptism is a new term in the New Testament writings, but there were widespread cleansing practices for the sake of ritual or ceremonial cleansing. And so you would use water to cleanse yourself and all kinds of things. And so there was full body immersion. There are cleansing pots and pans and all kinds of other good stuff. But here's the interesting thing about John. John was the first person to start baptizing other people for the sake of cleansing or the cleansing idea. It's clear, though, that there's that connection between ritual cleansing and John's cleansing and moral purity. When we really think about ceremonial cleansing, it's, it's like a signpost that always points us to the reality, which is moral purity. That God didn't give us ritual cleansing in the Old Testament just for no reason. It's a picture of what should be happening within our hearts, that you have outward circumcision, but God talks about in the Old and the New a circumcision of the heart. So when we think about ritual cleansing and actions and everything, it always points towards something greater. And so that was kind of the foundation for John to say, hey, um, I know that you've been cleansing for ritual ceremonial cleansing. I'm going to baptize you in the Jordan, but this is a sign of your repentance towards God, that you're turning from your sin and inviting God's kingdom to be here and to rule and to reign. Yeah, and I've I've always... um and I'm just going to be honest, today's m- m- kind of forcing me to to go a little deeper into mm-hmm. thinking, like when when he was asking people, commanding people to repent, and said, for the kingdom of heaven is, is near, mm-hmm. is coming, and then he would baptize them. I don't know that, I don't, it's, it wasn't at the same level. I feel very confident, and I'll tell you why. It, it's not the same level of the baptisms that we do today. I fully agree. Where once you're saved, then you do, you, you're baptized, because that baptism we know from Paul's writings is, is, a, is an identification with the death of Christ, which mm-hmm. had, had not happened yet with John the Baptist, with his death and burial and resurrection. So none of that had taken mm-hmm. place, and we identify with that. And there's a there's a transformation that takes place. There's a, a literal saving effect that takes place through the redemptive work of Christ, which has now been accomplished. Yeah. So it's a different baptism, but yet I don't I don't ever want to say that what John was doing was empty and void and meaningless, mm-hmm. because and I think this is important. And I said my earlier definition is that he's a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's one coming after me. The, the the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So, and his winnowing fork is in his hand. So mm-hmm. he's he's saying he's God, and that he is the Son of God, and he's the Messiah. Because they asked him, "Are you the Messiah?" And John said, "I'm not it. Yeah, he's coming. Yeah, there's one coming after me. He's greater than I am. He must increase. I must decrease. Yeah. So this was again. That's why I think you put you put it in the Old Testament. It was a transitional period where John mm-hmm. is the prophet. But now he's preaching about the Messiah, and he's preaching about Jesus, and he's pushing, he's preparing the way. You know, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, mm-hmm. make every hill, every road straight, and then the high places flat. In other words, let's remove all the impediments so that we can get to Jesus and the King can get to us. Yeah. And, and I think there's a way in which John's baptism, kind of talking about that trans, that transition period, sets up for us to be able to understand Christian baptism. Because you go from uh, Jewish ritual purity, which was a number of different things, including like proselyte baptism for Gentiles, but all kinds of stuff, 
to someone baptizing someone else in connection with repentance to Christ's baptism, which is clearly identifying with his death, with his resurrection. So it kind of helps us make sense of what's going on there and have a conception of someone else is going to dunk me underwater, and this is for a purpose. And it's all looking forward. It's like all the prophets look forward to Christ, Mm -hmm. but here's the one that's looking forward to him, and it's imminent. It's It's near. It's right here. He's the guy. All the prophets were forerunners, but... But he is the the forerunners. Mm-hmm. Every prophet was a forerunner. John is the forerunner. He is the guy. Like back in those days, uh, if the king was coming into your town, a guy would run ahead of him, mm-hmm. and he would announce, the king is coming. Prepare yourself, or the king is coming. Mm-hmm. And that meant he was just around the bend. And so that meant, oh, goodness. I'm it's not like ready. three yeah. weeks from now. It's within maybe three hours mm-hmm. or 30 minutes. And so everybody started scrambling, and you had a choice to make. You either did nothing or you had to start preparing for the king to come. Mm-hmm. So that's what John is doing. Yeah. On the eve of Jesus' revelation is he is the forerunner saying to Israel, get ready, mm-hmm. because the one that you have looked forward to for millennia is about to show up. That's good. And he's coming, and he will be here. But when... Paul was at Ephesus, and mm-hmm. he found about 12 guys, and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we haven't even heard there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. He said, well, whose baptism are you baptized in? They said, John's. And so he said, well, then we got to take care of that first. And so he explained to them the way of Christ, mm-hmm. and then he rebaptized them in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So that's why I said John's baptism, while effective, was still looking forward to to the work, the saving work of Jesus and the kingdom, his rule and reign in the hearts of people rather than sin and the devil, where baptism now looks backwards. So I guess that's kind of one of those things just kind of— Those guys were still living in the old covenant. Now, yeah. they were—it were, was out of ignorance. They just didn't know. Yeah. But then, they, hey, they submitted, and they became Christians right then and but there. But John is trying to preach a message that is preparing them for the new covenant. That's right. The kingdom of God, repentance, mm-hmm. water baptism— Purifying of your sins, life transformation. And really, Jesus kind of takes over John's ministry. We're going to talk about this in a second, where he's saying the kingdom of God is a hand, repent, believe. Preach the very same thing. And then his disciples start baptizing people. So he really kind of, John passes the baton like a race. He passes the baton, and Jesus doesn't start changing a bunch of stuff. He just fulfills it. You know, and gives it a fuller understanding, but runs with it. Well, he he does fulfill it. That's it. Mm-hmm. He is the substance of everything exactly. that John has been preaching. Mm-hmm. The king arrives. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can be the representative of the king all day, but it's not the same. Exactly. Okay. Vice president shows up. Okay, that's cool and that's pretty neat, but is, is Donald Trump coming? Yeah, Donald Trump's going to be behind me. Then it's like, okay, the king, the, mm-hmm. the president's coming. Yeah. And so I think it's that same kind of thing is that. When Jesus came, it was it had to be passed. That's why John said he must increase. I've got to decrease. That's There's right. a point where my role diminishes and I should disappear because the one has arrived who's That's initiating right. this new covenant. Well, let's look at the four gospels and uh, let's let's take our time here because this is a lot really of what we have to say today. Um, it's cool that all four gospels mention John the Baptist in, in some kind of way. So let's start with Mark. Um, Mark immediately begins with quotations from Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43, and he combines them together 
in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So he says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. So it's clear that Mark sees John as even prophesied about. And he's trying to kind of make this connection, like we've talked about, that um, that the Old Testament prophets talked about this and that the Messiah is on the way. And so John is a sign of that. And he's extremely important in understanding Jesus is here, the king is here, kind of like you said. We talked about this earlier too. John's uh, critique of Herod and Herodias and then his execution is very similar to Elijah's critique of Ahab and Jezebel. And so he's kind of fulfilling that. He's calling for moral purity. He's standing up to the powers that are. And it's interesting, too, that John, as the forerunner of the true king, is <coughs> standing me. up against the false king. You right. know, that Herod thinks that he's the king of the Jews, and he's not. He's nothing. And so John is standing up to him. And then we see in Mark eleven thirty two, everybody regarded John as a prophet. And so the people are starting to realize, hey, he truly is a prophet. And remember, this wasn't like an everyday occurrence. Now it's been 400 years. And so they're starting to pick up on, hey, the kingdom is here. So John's ministry was effective and he was recognized. He was incredibly impactful. He was popular and he he made a tremendous impact. If you remember mm-hmm. when... They were the, the Pharisees were trying to set up Jesus, and he said they asked him a question. He said, "I'll tell you what, I'll answer your question if you answer mine." John's John John's ministry was it from God or was it from men? And they wouldn't answer. And they thought, and they said, he, "So Jesus puts a trick question on them." And they said, "Well, if we say it's from God, then we're acknowledging that what he said was true, and mm-hmm. we haven't been supporters of John. If we say it's from men." The Bible says, then they feared the people because mm-hmm. all considered him a prophet. So generally speaking, they knew if they said that John the Baptist wasn't from God, they would have had an uprising on their hands. Yeah, that's so right. I don't know if we realize just how popular. And just the very fact that even going back to, to the apostle Paul, John had followers that lasted that long. Oh, yeah. The, the Paul's in Ephesus. 30-something years later, Yeah, they were followers of Paul. I mean, uh, John the Baptist, yeah. that, that's pretty phenomenal. He had quite the following. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if I'm not getting ahead of anything, but this is the preacher coming out of me. And, and, and you know my style of preaching. I mean, I'm a, I'm a shoot from the hip. I, I have an earned master's degree. I'm pretty intelligent and studious, but I still preach. I mean, when I preach, I preach. And sometimes I get in your stuff and I, and, and, and I, I preach, I deal with things. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes people are uncomfortable and they don't like it, and I've had them leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had lots of them leave because they they're confronted. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that John the Baptist was that kind of preacher. He was a no no, no holds bars, no holds yeah, no holds bar. He would shoot from the hip, yep, and he just tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the people flocked to him because I don't think it's style. I think it's truth. Yeah. They, they just wanted somebody who came along and didn't tickle their ears and just said, here's reality. So you you soldiers, you're taking more than your you tax collectors, you're taking more than you're supposed to. And you soldiers, y'all keep taking advantage of people. And, and you you people are doing this and that, and you need to change. And people are like, he's right. Yeah. But they wanted they wanted a change. And and here was a guy calling them out and say, but there's hope. Mm-hmm. There's one coming who's going to end, but you need to repent. And so I just think that's powerful in that when it's all said and done, 
the best thing to do is don't tickle people's ears. Anybody can preach messages to mm-hmm. win a crowd. That's not the same as winning converts and making disciples. Well, here's the thing, and and we'll we'll even talk about this in, in Matthew in just a second. The people knew that they were bound. Now, physically, they they really knew the Romans had captured them, and so um, I've been reading N.T. Wright lately, and he does fantastic work on this, where the people were awaiting a deliverer, and but and when they talk about the kingdom of God, they they really believed that God was going to come and destroy the Romans, punish the Gentiles, restore the physical kingdom of God on earth through the line of David. And, uh, the glory and days of Solomon would, would be come restored. Back. And yeah. so they're waiting on this. And so their conception was, we need to repent of our sins, strictly follow Torah. And, uh, and as we are faithful to God, this will kind of speed up his coming. God is coming. He's going to deliver us. But the longer we live in sin, the longer he's going to wait to come back and deliver us. It's time to repent. It's time to get away from this. It's time to be faithful. And so John is really tapping into this longing and desire that says we're oppressed. We're beaten down. We need deliverance. And I think if you want to spiritualize this, because that's, I mean, that's what this all is. If we want to talk about typology, when people know they're bound in sin, they don't, at that point, it doesn't matter of you um, telling them that it's okay or bouncing all around it. They want to hear, do you want to get out of this? Do you want to get out of this? Turn from your sin. Turn from your ways. Turn back to God. And it taps into something in them that says, all right, if I want to get this freedom, I have got to turn. And so that's what the people were doing. They wanted the freedom that God and his kingdom would bring. And so he preaches straight to them, and they come running because they know that that's the truth. And go ahead and go to Matthew because Matthew, as you put in your notes, is very scatological, Mm -hmm. which has to do with future events. Um, because not only is he preaching a message of hope and repentance, and mm-hmm. you can deal with your sins and be changed, but he's also preaching judgment. That's right. I mean, he says they either have to be baptized and repent, or the, or he's, they're, they're going to face judgment. He said the axe is at the root of the tree, and God's going to cut you down and mow mm-hmm. you down and throw you in the fire. And that's right. I mean, that's kind of like hellfire brimstone preaching. But that's he's right. just he's just preaching plainly salvation and judgment, mm-hmm. and it worked. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting too that um, I feel like we get a picture of like kind of the regular folk truly repenting of their sin and wanting to turn back to God, but then the Sadducees and the Pharisees come, who are kind of fakers, who are the religious elite, and they come up. And John is this random guy in the wilderness, so he's talking to these highly respected, established, intelligent, learned guys who come marching up, and he's out there in his old outfit and his get up, and he just looks at them and goes, "You brood of vipers." Who warned you about the coming wrath? Because you don't care about. He says you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh, he called them out. Called them out. And John's conception of repentance is not mere lip service, nor is it vain Torah obedience. It's a true turning from your sin and turning to God, which they were not doing. You know what a brood of vipers is? That to use the, to put that in our own vernacular. That's a son of a snake. <laughs> That's what he called him. You yeah. son of a snake. <laughs> Excuse me. You're the offspring of a snake is what you are. Yeah. You brood of vipers. You're sneaky. You're slippery. You're you, poisonous. You're deceptive. You're dangerous. You're that's deadly. Right. You kill you. And that's why when you read Jesus, Jesus blistered the Pharisees. And rightfully so. But, you know, Jesus said, and I think John had the same vein here in the 
Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I think this is probably one of the key passages of the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. that unless your righteousness transcends the righteousness of the of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Surpasses it. It has to surpass it. And I think that's what John was saying to those Pharisees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the, you know, the wrath to come because you're, you're – your righteousness is... They had a level of righteousness, sure. It was works-based. But it was vain. It, it was, was works-based. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, too. It wasn't that, God's righteousness. Yeah, exactly. And John tells them, he says, and don't tell me you're Abraham's children. When he calls them, he calls them a brood of vipers, tell them to you know, bear fruit and keep your repentance. He says, don't tell me you're Abraham's kids. The Jewish conception was, if I am an Israelite, if I'm an ethnic I'm in. Jew, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in the club. So I just kind of do the minimum follow the Torah, get in the club, say, hey, God, see, I'm one of you, and I'm in. And John's like, no, that's not how this works. You're not going to be saved just because you're a Jew. You're going to be saved because you repent of your sins. Yeah. And we get the follow-up from Jesus and later Paul, the true the true sons of Abraham are those who are in faith, which so obviously has to do with repentance. So you're saved not because you're born a Jew. You're saved because you're born again. Exactly. That's All the good. preachers coming mm-hmm. out of me now, like, that's you better good. watch out. And you know what? <laughs> what you're saying is true today because there are it people is. that get saved or they grow up in church and then they do the minimum and they just say, I want to get by so I can enjoy this world and do what I want. Mm-hmm. But I'm in the club that's right. and I'm going to heaven. And it's and then they kind of live worldly and they, they let sin slide in, but they say, but I'm in the club. Yeah. And God's like, no. Oh, you're going to live for me every day, and you're going to repent of your sins, and you're going to keep sin out, and keep me in, and mm-hmm. make me first, and and love me more than the world. You know, if you, any man loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Mm-hmm. So That's there's right. there's demands that are made, starting with John the Baptist to Jesus. But thank God we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what I was about to say. John then gives us hope, and he says, "This Jesus who's coming very soon is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire." I've been baptizing you in water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, which may be applied to believers. Tell me if you disagree. I get the idea of purity from both of those. And then you've got a fire of judgment. Like he says, the ax is ready and he's going to throw you into the fire. You're going to burn with a fire that doesn't end. To me, it's you can either get a purifying fire with the Holy Spirit and makes you holy, or you're going to get a judgmental fire that punishes you forever. And that's yeah, what you chose. going to make you deal with your sin. And, I, and again, now we're joking. You and I are Pentecostal preachers. But John the Baptist was, in the New Testament, the first Pentecostal preacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John the Baptist preached the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And as you begin to kind of put all of these Old Testament passages together, you're saying the kingdom of God is here, there's going to be a restoration of Israel, there's going to be judgment, and then you think of Joel, in which the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. And John is just re-emphasizing this. And so there's this... Once again, this imminent moment, this kingdom we've been teaching about, it is coming and it's going to change everything. He called he 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 preaches Jesus. That's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, we're talking about all these characteristics of his sermon. When it's all said and done, though, he preaches Jesus. Mm-hmm. He preaches the king is coming. Yeah. He's the forerunner. So the king is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. He preaches Jesus as Savior. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin That's of the right. world. So he calls him the Lamb of God. Then he says he's the Holy Ghost baptizer. There's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm -hmm. So he's the Holy Spirit baptized. If fire is about purification, he's the sanctifier. That's right. He'll purge you of your sins and help you to live above sins and live in victory over sins. This is the message of John the Baptist. Is that not powerful or what? That's awesome. I mean, it's it's just incredible. It's what we preach today. That's right. You could literally take his sermons and just... Just preach them today. Yeah, and preach repent. You got to turn from your sins, get right with God. Judgment's coming if you don't get right. 
You know, the king, the king can either be your savior or the king, he can come on a donkey or he can come on a horse. That's right. If the king came on a donkey, the donkey was a sign of peace. That's why Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But if he came on a horse, he was coming to do battle. It's time to go. Yeah. So do you right. want him to come on a horse or do you want to come on a donkey? That's right. And you want him to come to you on a donkey in peace so that he can save you. Mm-hmm. But if you fight and resist him, he'll come on a horse. That's right. why in Revelation, he comes back on a horse to this earth mm-hmm. at the Battle of Armageddon. Yeah. That's good. Now, as we move on through Matthew, there's some really important things. Um, And so here's a question that I want to ask. So we see in Matthew that Jesus shows up on the scene, and John's been baptizing all these people, and Jesus wants John to baptize him. And John's like, whoa, 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 you don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. And so, you know, it's it's possible that sometimes people kind of have a hard time this. Well, why would Jesus be baptized? I thought this was for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. What's going on here? So my question is, why did Jesus receive baptism from John? What was the point? Well, I you could probably go in a lot of different directions, but obviously he didn't need to be baptized to purify sins or to represent the purification of sins. He didn't need to be baptized as a symbol that he was repenting of his mm-hmm. sins. That's right. Um, he was the fulfillment of all that. He was the mm-hmm. cause of all that. So he told John, it, it, "It's necessary to fulfill all righteousness." Mm-hmm. And and so, and without us getting too deep theologically, I'm going to stay really, really plain here. I think Jesus looked at John, and to put it in terms we can understand, he said, "John, it's just the right thing to do." Yeah, that's good. It's just the right thing to do. I don't need it. You're right. I don't need it. But it's the right thing to do. Let mm-hmm. me do it. And I think, uh, and I know you have in your notes that. Jesus did it as, to, as, as the model mm-hmm. to say repentance is important. And and so he modeled, Jesus modeled so much for us. Yeah, he did. And we don't have time. We could do a whole session on that. But I, I really just want it, for me, it's simple, is that he just, he was modeling and doing, it's the right thing to do. I think in connection with that, and we see it with the temptation, is that Jesus as the second Adam is the perfect human. And so kind of in that way, he's being perfect. That the one we're going to be in union with, we're going to kind of cut ourselves off from Adam and join ourselves to Christ, he's perfect in every way, including baptism, because it's the right thing to do. Not that well, he needed it, but he's doing it to be perfect. And carry this thing through. Um, he, I believe he was immersed. Mm-hmm. He comes up out of the water. John baptizes him. He's either standing waist deep in water or he's walked up on the bank one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tendency that I see, if I read the scripture, is that he's still standing in the water. That's right when he comes up. Totally drenched. The heavens open. The Spirit of the Lord descends upon him in the form of a dove, and a voice speaks from heaven, and don't miss this. This is my son, identification, in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. And it's affirmation. So what I've always said was, Jesus said, John, let's do this. It's the right thing to do. God the Father follows up and says, you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. I'm pleased with what you did. And that's why I tell people who think, well, I don't need to be baptized. Oh, yes, you do. It's the right thing to do. And if you want to please God, it's it's what it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you want to open up heaven and have, have a connection between you and God through the Holy Spirit, see the connection? Mm-hmm. It's the right thing to do. And it's really, it's the thing that kicks off Jesus's ministry, and it identifies who Jesus is, and it's something that we follow after him in, that Jesus is then um, the Christ, in a sense, he is anointed 
as the Christ, and he receives the Spirit. He has access to the Father, and he goes on and he begins his ministry. And so in, in, in a very similar way, the purifying work of the Spirit of God in our life seen in baptism is that we are now anointed by God through the Son, have access to the Father, and now we begin our ministry out of kind of entering into the relationship of the Trinity, and we go and do what Jesus did. And it opened the way, water baptism opened the way for spirit baptism, mm-hmm. because he was filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Go to Luke 4, then Jesus Jesus filled, then Jesus full of, with the in the power of the Spirit, full mm-hmm. of the power of the Spirit. So it is a very much a Pentecostal-style experience, even though it was pre-Pentecost. And I know now we're talking about Jesus, but all of this came out of him. Yeah, being what, baptized. What he did with John the Baptist. That's right. That's good. Um, let's let's finish out with Matthew here. We do see in Matthew eleven two through eight, John actually begins to question: Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one? So remember, John is the guy preaching this whole time. Jesus, you know, this guy's coming. He's he and, and he points out that here's the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. All this stuff. But now John's in prison. And he's just not sure because Jesus has gone around and he's preaching a message of forgiveness, of loving your enemies, of all of these different things. And he may have uh, kind of not lived up to what John thought the Messiah was going to be. And so he's like, he sends some messengers. He's like, Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus quotes back to him Isaiah 35, 5 through 6 to show that he's fulfilling messianic prophecy. And that was basically all about going around healing the sick, healing the blind, raising the dead, the lame, X, Y, Z. So Jesus kind of has to correct John there and say, hey, I'm fulfilling the proper messianic expectations of the Old Testament. And so it's interesting, really, just that John kind of has to get that reaffirmation from Jesus that he isn't perfect, that he didn't know everything. And so Jesus is kind of subverting the expectations of everybody. Well, well may, let's give our listeners context. So when when he questions Jesus, he has been arrested and is sitting in a jail waiting to get his head chopped off. There's no grand victory in conquering. No, he, he's beheaded yeah. by Herod. So he's sitting in that jail. Here's what I think. He sends two people to Jesus to ask him. And so here's what I think a lot of scholars think, Evan. There's there's a couple, and there could be more, but there's a couple things that could have happened here. It could be that the guy who had this grand ministry and the masses followed him, and he's he's interacting with kings, preaching to you know had that is now all of a sudden that's all stopped, and he's a convict. He's in jail, you know, for mm-hmm. just for right reasons. He's in jail. Death is imminent. And it could be that sitting in that solitude of a jail, he's starting to have doubts. Mm-hmm. He's starting to question because he's thinking, man, I gave my life for this, and all of a sudden I'm looking at death. And We were supposed to have glory and victory and restoration. Like, what's right. going on? I, I, I'm not going to get to be—is is this all happening? Is Did I miss it? I think there could have been all kinds of things going through John's mind. And in his hesitancy and in, in his situation— he needed that affirmation mm-hmm. from Jesus, you know, which was a relative, by the way, because Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, cousins so yeah. they were Jesus and John were actually related distantly, and so it may have been that John needed that affirmation because Jesus told him, "Go back and tell him what's happening. Mm-hmm. The ministry's still happening." And it may have been John that was cut off and didn't know what was going on. It could have been very simple as mm-hmm. 
you know, are you the one? I know I said you're the one, but should we look for another? Because that's what he said. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, no, don't doubt. I'm the one. And he, you know, he never blistered John for that. He never yeah. um, said anything publicly that maligned John. He All he did after that was promote John yeah. as a prophet. So I, I don't think there was anything there that was immoral he didn't or carnal from the faith no, or anything I like that. I think he just needed he was in a hard time. He was he was facing death and he just needed that affirmation. Now that's one explanation. There are scholars that think that John's faith and was strong but that his disciples were struggling. Yeah. Because they were followers of John and now their their leader is sitting in a jail cell and they're like Come on! What, like, what's, what, happening? what's happening here? And he's like, "I told you, Jesus is the one. We're look, go to him." And and so he sent them to Jesus for their sake, mm-hmm. not his sake. So he said, "Well, go ask him. Go ask him if he's the one that we should look for, or should you look for another one? Go ask him." Mm-hmm. And so then, when Jesus said, "All right, I'm going to tell you what to go back and tell your the one your follower, the blind are healed, the deaf." can hear and the lame could walk and the gospel's being preached and blessed is the one who doesn't fall away in account of me. So it very well could be that John did that. We don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll ask him. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's comforting to know that regardless of what happened, the people who saw Jesus doing stuff, they had their moments, they had their doubts, and Jesus was faithful to reassure him. Yes. And, you know, we all go through those moments. Yeah, he'll reassure us. That's right. Um and then finally, we see that that Jesus acknowledges him um, as the the great Old Testament prophet. But regarding the kingdom of God, um, Jesus says that those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. Yeah, and, and I, I can can we read that text? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Jesus said, "Assuredly, I say to you, this is Matthew eleven eleven. Mm-hmm. Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist." Now, that's right. a pretty great compliment mm-hmm. to get from God. He said, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Mm. So John was greatest in the old covenant. But what Jesus was saying is your relationship with God in the new covenant, if you're the least in the kingdom of God, that surpasses anything that's in that old. It's just kind of like the book of Hebrews. The key word is better, Mm -hmm. better. And so being in the new covenant, is a whole lot better than the best you could be, the highest place you could achieve in the Old Covenant. Yeah, and it's interesting. Jesus is kind of taking up John's ministry. Um, he's he's The baton has been passed, if you will, and he's kind of pointing out, hey, the thing I'm doing is greater. I know John had a lot of followers. I know he was very influential, but I'm continuing that. Follow me. I'll point you to something even greater than you knew, than John even knew. Well, and yeah, and what's different is me. He'll say, yeah, I'm pointing exactly. you to me. I am the fulfillment. I'm the one that John talked about. That's right. So even I want us to be careful when we say John's passing the baton. I, I don't know if that may be the best terminology. I because, mean, yeah, I don't mean to say that John was the master, it, but well, or even an equal. John, I guess what I was really trying to say is that Jesus is now the guy everybody's looking to. He's preaching the sermons. He's doing the stuff. He's talking about the kingdom. Really, kind of like John says, you know, less of me, more of you. Yeah. Really, all right, we're focusing on him now. Right. Yeah. 
Right, that's that what transfer I mean, yeah. of attention. Of attention, that's correct, yeah. To the one who is the fulfillment of everything. Mm-hmm. He's the one I've been, he's the fulfillment of everything I've been talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Well, let's look at Luke. Luke and John, um, we, we won't stay there too terribly long, but they've got some good stuff to tell us. Um, Luke actually gives us John and Jesus' life in parallel, like the birth stories, the early life, and even kind of their ministries. And the climax of their side-by-side ministries is the parable about the children in the marketplace, reflecting the reception of Jesus and John, which is that John and Jesus really both had success with the common folk of the day, that people were coming to them and repenting and receiving life and healing. But it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite that you could not make happy. And so that's why Jesus is like, you know, you can you can dance and play any song that you want, and you can do whatever, and you can't make these people happy. And so John and Jesus, kind of in that same vein there, were up against the exact same opposition that those who knew that they were broken and needed salvation wanted to join the kingdom of God. Those who thought they were better and, uh, and the religious elite loved attention, they rejected them regardless. Well, here's the thing when you're religious— it's all about how you appear. Mm-hmm. And that was what Jesus was pointing out. John's wearing a camel's hair, a leather belt, eating insects and wild honey and preaching like a wild man, okay, like a country preacher just letting it rip. And they said, the elite said, that boy's demon-possessed. Crazy guy. Which is really a hard thing to say. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes along as a rabbi mm-hmm. with the followers, ministering, and who's teaching, and obviously his style is very much different, and they, and he's hanging out with sinners. John, was, was, as you said, was an ascetic, so they separated mm-hmm. from people. That was how it's kind of think of the monks mm-hmm. back in the middle middle ages. The monks they would get in a in a monastery and separate from society. So that's how people saw John. Jesus is out there going to weddings, funerals, parties, and they called him a a, a glutton. And a wine bibber, yeah. So he he drinks, he he, he goes to drinking parties, and he eats too much. <laughs> and so what Jesus was saying was, "You religious people, we're never going to ma- meet up can't, to you can't because make you, happy. you you're always judging by the external." That's right. And so I think that's where he used John in there in that course. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's interesting that. Uh, John, like I mentioned earlier, gives us the continuity with the famous barrenness stories. So, um, and, and then we see kind of God's favor there. So, think Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Mikhail, that whole crew. Elizabeth is right there with them. So, we know John is going to be something spe- special and bring something to God's redemptive plan. We mentioned this earlier. He points out John's priestly lineage through Elizabeth. Um, who's of the daughters of Aaron, and then his father Zechariah in the course of Abijah. So we we see that John comes for that priestly lineage and is special. But finally, I want to point out this. We haven't talked about this. We see John as a praying man, which is a good thing. The Lord's Prayer is a response to a request by Jesus' disciples to teach them how to pray as John taught his disciples. I, you know, I love this. I think this is a great uh, revelation you have here or, or insight because I tell you in all the years preach I don't know if I've ever preached about that I've never even noticed it but it's there yeah that John was a pra- yeah I mean, obviously I assume he was a praying man because he had to be but not that the Bible ever pointed it out yeah but just that's a great thing that among all the other great things about him is that 
you see there that, I mean, obviously you would assume he was a praying man. But, but this was his reputation that yeah, people knew. Yeah, and that he was teaching others how to pray. That's right. That's pretty powerful. That's great. And then finally, in the Gospel of John, um, John very much highlights the centrality of Jesus in his message. And so John declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus, or John, excuse me, John is the forerunner, is pointing out why Jesus came to forgive sins, remove our sinfulness by his death. Christ is the true fulfillment of Old Testament hope. And so I really like that, that... Um, we definitely need the kingdom of God language, and that kind of we see we see this sort of grand kingdom. But John gives us Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and points out that function of Him, which is beautiful, and and really emphasizes the need for the removal of our sin, the removal of our sinfulness, and He's going to be the one who does it. And I think when it's all said and done, the lesson I get out of that is. You got to point people to Jesus. That's right. Because that's exactly what he did. He pointed him out, and Andrew and his friend followed Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if we would just point people to Jesus, we can't save them, we can't reform them, we can't educate them, we can't change them. We we got to just point them to Jesus and let mm-hmm. him do that. And finally, John's uh, focus on the centrality of Jesus as John realizes. When Jesus hits the scene, it's my time to get out of the way. So his disciples come, and they're concerned because Jesus' disciples are baptizing people now. And John responded, No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase but I must decrease. John sees himself as a friend of the groom, that he's not the center of the show. He's just there to rejoice, to be happy. And when he hears his voice, he's ready to step aside and let Jesus take center stage. And I want to commend John for this so much because one, it's not just that he's functioning in his priestly or his uh, prophetic role, which is, you know, to be the forerunner and everything, but in a much more human way, John, and we've emphasized this, John was an influential man. John had followers. He had a platform. He had a stage. He had people who liked him, who were listening to him. He was the guy who got the baptized. I mean, John was the guy. And then all of a sudden to step aside and say, I'm done. I've, I've fulfilled my role in a strictly human sense. It may have been harder than we realized to just be done. Be done being the man and give that to somebody else. But John realized, I'm not the center of the tension. I'm not the savior of the world. I, the groom is here, and I'll gladly be done with that. Yeah, That's that, difficult. It is, and it's also inspirational to, to us mm-hmm. and hopefully something that could be aspirational. Um, I, I think a good way to close this um, podcast is to just focus on that last line where he said, he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. Mm-hmm. And I think you can take that safely and say to every person out there who is trying to live for the Lord, um, pray to the Holy Spirit and say, what is it in my life that is standing in the way mm-hmm. of people seeing Jesus in me, of me being more like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Is it my pride? Is it my desires, my pursuits? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there things that I say or do that make me sound a whole lot more like me and really cloud the image or blur the image of Jesus? 
what what in me needs to decrease what yeah. in me needs to diminish and what if what of him needs to increase that's right you know how can i love people more how can i be more joyful do i really have peace or do i seem like a worrisome anxious person all the time mm-hmm. um am i kind to people or am i mean what is it that needs to go down that needs to be killed that needs to be crucified mm-hmm. you know crucify the flesh and the lust thereof and the desires and 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 what is it that I need to put on, and how do I need to behave so that when the day is done, people can look at me and see Jesus, the Jesus in me. That's good. It's not something I'm doing on my own. It's I'm clothed with Christ. I'm in Christ. But man, sometimes our flesh rises up. That's right. And I think that's just a great rule of life every day is just to say, "Help me to decrease and you increase." That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Ask yourself, is my life paving the way to point towards Jesus? There you go. Or is it just point towards myself? Am I a forerunner for somebody else? Mm -hmm. Somebody was a forerunner to me. Mm -hmm. They led me to Christ. That's right. So I think all of us need to be John the Baptist in in paving the way that God can use us to, to help somebody else come to Christ. That's good. That's real good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you. Um, Go ahead and give us a rating, give us a review, share this podcast, send it to somebody who needs it, and we will see you back in a couple of weeks. 